Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that looks at the inspiration, intention, and actionable steps to help you jumpstart joy in the world, in your life, and in other people's lives. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. This is episode 172. This week on the show, you guys, I'm so excited to have Gemma Hartley on. She is the author of Fed Up, Emotional Labor, Women, and the Way Forward. I'm really excited to have her come on and talk about emotional labor, which she defines as the invisible work women do to keep the people around them happy. Now, I found her book in the library, and uh, the moment I picked it up and started reading it, it felt like maybe Gemma had spent some time in my head, and it was really somewhat relieving (laughs) to see someone talking about emotional labor, which was a topic I knew very little about until I had read her book, and she really did a great job of explaining some of the things that I see even in my own relationship about how I juggle some of the work here on a domestic scene. And, you know, it's just been one of those things that it seems that society assumes that we are the ones that are going to pick up this work and maybe that we actually love doing it. (laughs) So I think this is a really refreshing topic and I'm so excited to have Gemma on to talk about it. If you're new here, I want to first say welcome. I'm really glad that you're here this week. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. Jumpstart Your Joy is a podcast that's been going on for over four years now, and it comes out every Tuesday morning. You can find it on all the major podcasting spots like iTunes and Google Podcasts and Player FM, Stitcher, just to name a few. If you want to subscribe, you can find us any of those places. I strongly you know, encourage you to do so because when you subscribe, you get the each episode automatically <laughs> downloaded to your device each week on Tuesday mornings when they come out. The show, of course, looks at joy uh, at many different angles. And this season, I've really been playing with the inspiration, intention, and action that goes into leading a joyful life and finding joy in our days. And so I think this episode and the topic of emotional labor is especially interesting because I think acknowledging that it is something that is going on uh, maybe in your relationship or in society, it really kind of sets the intention. Once you're aware of it, then you can set the intention to do something different about how emotional labor is maybe handled in your home or in your world. And then you can take the actionable steps to make it different starts the conversation and you could change how things are playing out in your home and in your life. So it's really exciting to have her on and talk about it. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And of course, there's 171 past episodes just waiting for you there to binge listen (laughs) to all sorts of joyful information out there on the site as well. And if you're really curious about Gemma and her book, you can find the show notes for this episode. You can go to jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash fed up and you can find the show notes there and I will link to her book and whatnot. Um, Also, while you're on the site, maybe if you love podcasts, I'm just going to jump out there and take a bet that you would probably love to start your own show because why not? (laughs) If that's something you've been considering, I do have a great cheat sheet out there that lists all the hardware and software that I use to create this show every week. I am definitely (laughs) self-taught. There's no extra magic going on behind the scenes here. And it has been such a true joy in my days for the last four years to get to produce this show. So, So without further ado, let's just jump right on in to this fun conversation with Gemma Hartley. 
Today on the show, you guys, I am so excited to have Gemma Hartley, the author of Fed Up, Emotional Labor, Women, and the Way Forward. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, Gemma. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm so excited you're here. I It was amazing that I found your book in the library. Then, I'm so excited to yeah. see it in the library. It is, yeah, and they had it right in the new, you know, the new releases area, and I was like, this is fascinating. Then I think I I uh, tagged you on Instagram, and that's how how we came to meet. So the first question that I ask everyone is, what did you love most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy? Writing, which should not come as a surprise. I have been <laughs> writing since I was really really little, and that was always the thing that I went to, um, you know, when I was bored and I wanted to have fun. And it was something that was great because I could do it wherever I was. And, um, you know, when it, whatever the weather was outside, like writing, writing doesn't take much of anything. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's always been my favorite. That's wonderful. Did you also read a lot then as a kid? You know, it's funny. I didn't read a ton as like a younger kid. I feel like I was a late bloomer when it came mm-hmm. to reading. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents did not have a ton of books in the house other than like, you know, picture books and little kid books. Um, so it was a friend at school that started me like on my reading path, but that was like late middle school, I would say, um, when I really started reading. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I loved writing as a little kid too, and would like make picture books and stuff. Creating stories was always fun for me. So now you're a journalist, and you wrote the wildly popular article for Harper's Bazaar entitled "Women Aren't Nags, We're Just Fed Up." And that was that in 2017. Yes, September 2017. <laughs> and, yeah, and it went it went viral, which um, it is an amazing read, and I will link up to that in the show notes. What prompted you to write the article in the in the first place? Like what can where did it come from? So this was something that I had been thinking about for a while ever since I saw there's like a cartoon um a French cartoonist Emma Litt and mm-hmm. she wrote this like wonderful comic on the mental load and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this resonates with me so much. Like I would love to take this concept and turn it into an article, which is sort of what I did. And it was something that, of course, I had talked to my girlfriends about and I was constantly thinking about. Um, So it was really natural for me to pitch that piece. Yeah, it really is amazing um, because I think it hits upon something that's so um, prevalent in or, and just what ubiquitous in women's minds, but maybe there isn't a lot of voice to it just yet about kind of emotional labor. And would you like to explain kind of how you define emotional labor in case people aren't familiar with the term? Yes. So in the book, how I define emotional labor is the really the invisible work that women do uh, in order to keep everyone around them comfortable and happy. And that includes both the mental work that we do, like all of the planning and behind the scenes and those to-do lists that run through our heads 
all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And also the emotion work that we do to make sure that everyone is happy and that we are keeping everyone's temperament right where, you know, it needs to be. So it's the combination of emotion work and mental work and how exhausting it is. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Well, and that's, you know, when I, when I picked up the book, obviously it's got a great cover that like draws you in because it's very, you know, it's, just very straightforward about it. And, and what really, once I started reading it, what resonated with me was that sense of, I mean, my husband does a lot, so we'll preface it with that, that I do all the things and it's quiet, quiet and silent. And maybe behind the scenes, we have an eight-year-old son and we have a, you know, a house and I work out of the home or did, I'm now a full-time life coach, but um, (laughs) it's a different story. But so I'm doing a lot of the work and then when it comes time for chores or whatever to be split, it seems like there's a different attitude about why other people would do the work besides me. When I started reading it, it was like, how have you gotten into my head? <laughs> how is you know, how is it nobody else is talking about this? What has been the reaction that you've received, either from the article or your book? I'm assuming you've gotten a lot from women who were like, holy cow. <laughs> The wonderful thing is when I wrote the article, I started to get a lot of that response of, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, this is my life. This is so relevant to me, Um, which is really what prompted the writing of the book. And it made it very easy to do research for the book because I had so many women reaching out and wanting to tell their stories. And so it it made all of that qualitative research really easy for me because people want to talk about this. And I think the reason that that article became so viral is because it we didn't have a language to talk about this. Mm-hmm. No one had really put together, you know, these sort of disparate terms of emotional labor and emotion work and mental work and sort of looked at how they intersect and compound. And so I I was really excited when I saw this huge response to it. It put me on this path to writing the book and it gave me so much to look at um, mm-hmm. when I was doing my research. Yeah. And I could see why it's easily shared because I think it's something that we all realize we're doing and possibly we're exhausted by it or just confused (laughs) by it. And like, how do we at least start the conversation? And so I think that's an amazing way because like you said, then we start to have the language to talk about the thing that we feel. Yeah, it's, it's really true. I, um, I love, there's this scene in the movie, The Breakup in the like very beginning. And it was, it was referenced in a piece that talked about emotional labor earlier this week. And I think it's so perfect because, you know, Jennifer Aniston's character is like, I, I don't want to tell you to do the dishes. Like I want you to want to do the dishes. And she's trying in all these different ways to explain emotional labor to her partner who just doesn't get it because there is no language that's talking about emotional labor at the time. So I think it's like really interesting to see now that we have this language, how many people are starting to have these conversations with their partners. And actually, a lot of people reach out to me and tell me this book is helping them move forward and find some progress and find some common ground. Yeah. And that's, that's amazing. Um, so thank you for putting it out there for us all to, you know, kind of start to start the conversation, but also to give us the language for it. Because, the, I mean, I love that you kind of outline in the book, I know you had your own experience around the blue crate that didn't get put away, but all of us kind of have that moment of, or many of us, maybe not everyone, but <laughs> where there's, 
the thing that happens and perhaps my reaction is like, maybe why can't you just put away the dishes and why do I have to ask? Because some of, as you point out in the book, the actual emotional labor is asking for the help and then asking the person to do the thing that seems to should just be done. Um, but around that, like then, as you know, the argument happens of, you know, I already do enough from the one side and why, you know, and, but why do I have to ask you on the other? But I think, would you explain kind of the difference that happens and how we can kind of navigate that differently instead of it going into the argument itself? So I think that's really tricky because there is this, um, you know, everyone's going to respond to it in a different way. And mm-hmm. a lot of men get really defensive when this is brought up. Uh, one of the things that I found was really easy to talk about with my husband was when I was researching the book, we started having a lot of conversations about the different ways that we were raised and sort of how this is not like a personal problem. Like it's not something wrong with him. It's a really cultural problem where we raise women to believe that this is their job and their duty. And we let men just ignore it. We sort of shut them out from this part of their lives um, that includes emotional labor. So once we started talking about that and talking about, oh, well, I see this differently because of the way I was raised rather than, you know, you're a bad person for leaving the, <laughs> leaving the gift wrap in the middle of the closet. It's been a lot of unlearning on both of our parts, which I think has really brought us closer together. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I like that a lot because it is one of those things that when there's frustration on both sides and if both people are coming at it in a moment where it's like kind of a difficult topic that of course, you know, it's, it, it has the potential to become heated and misunderstandings occur. But when you can talk about it from outside of that moment, then you're in a place where you can both speak into your feelings and kind of what agree to look at it together. Yeah. And I would, you know, really suggest not having a meltdown in your closet on Mother's Day. It was not the most productive conversation I've ever had with my husband about emotional labor. Um, (laughs) But I I feel like we talk about it a lot now. I Mm -hmm. thought that that moment and the resulting conversation that we had after, you know, we had both cooled down was going to really significantly change things in our marriage. And it didn't. It it's a really long process, um, a really long learning process for both of us. And so we we still talk about emotional labor all the time. We're constantly adjusting and readjusting. And I think that's something that we need to keep in mind, that it's not a quick fix. It's going to be a really long process of, you know, unlearning those deeply held biases that we have inside us about who does this work and why. Yeah, I mean, I know even just looking at the the Harper's Bazaar article itself, they dropped in a bunch of the different ads from throughout time, it seems, <laughs> where all of the, the home-based uh, work was, you know, women standing next to a washing machine or the dishwasher and getting excited about how Tide was, you know, inside of it. With it. I mean, like the whole thing, it just sets up the expectations that, well, I mean, as I see it, that's and I think you did a nice job of bringing this up too, of like that somehow this is work that is for women. And it's also something that we somehow really enjoy. 
which I'm yeah. clearly not. I don't, I mean, I like a clean home, uh, but I, it's not something that like delights me to do the work of making it clean. Yes, absolutely. And I think when it comes to, you know, partnerships, I think what is really frustrating, especially for women, you know, in this day and age is that we signed up for marriage thinking that we were going into really like true equitable partnerships. And Mm -hmm. now we're finding that's not really true because some of these old ideas are still really deeply entrenched in our society. I feel like I read another article recently too about that very thing that, that oftentimes what men will do the emotional labor as an act, not as out of character, but that it's expected and they'll do big things during the dating stages. But then after the dating phase is over, it changes back into the roles that maybe were set at home or by society or whatever. And so we get this sense that, ooh, there's this, oh, this person kind of gets it, but then that's that's part of kind of the courtship, not part of the rest of the partnership. Yeah, there is sort of this honeymoon period that a lot of couples go through where men will really put forth a lot of emotional labor. And it's Mm. sort of, you know, it has an end game, which is, you know, to get the girl. And then after that point, a lot of times it will sort of devolve and there will not be a need for that emotional labor because, you know, you've you've won the girl. Um, That's sort of the mindset around it. I write a little bit about that in the book. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's really, it's a really backwards way of thinking. And I think we are starting to move away from that now. Um, I really do think that we're going to start moving forward. And I see a lot more healthy partnerships that are open about these issues from the start now. So I have a lot of hope that we're going to leave that behind soon. (laughs) Yes, I, I agree. I love that you also, in the book, clearly you got a lot of that input from people and their own personal stories. And you also did such a nice job of like looking at other works that Betty Friedan talked about um, both in, in both her books and right here on my own bookshelf. I have Overwhelmed by Bridget Schulte, which I love as well. But like there have been other other discussions that have kind of talked around how we as as women have changed historically, our role has changed. Um, and I really love the quote that you shared about the questions have to be asked personally be- before they become political. And that this language and the information you're sharing is like kind of that start to make it personal. Um, I know you also said that you met some people that had some resistance to the idea that this should be something that's shared. Do you want to dive into that a little bit? Because that also was eye-opening to me. Yeah, I think usually when people had a lot of pushback on this, it was because they had really traditional ideas about the roles men and women should take. And a lot of people thought that was something that is like hardwired into us. Emotional labor is women's domain because it is our birthright, essentially. And as I wrote the book, I I really dove into the research and looked at both sides to see if there was anything that, you know, sort of proved or disproved that. And everything that I found pointed towards the fact that this was something that was created by culture and the way that we're socialized. And so I think that resistance has a lot to do with 
you know, a lot of the times it's religion or the way that we're culturally raised, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have a whole lot of basis in science. So it's not like men can't learn these skills, um, (laughs) you know, that we can't share this load equally in a way that benefits both parties. Um, So I, I think a lot of that pushback comes from, you know, wanting things to stay the same. Right. Yeah. Or, I mean, is it possible there's some people who really love and delight in the emotional labor piece? Like, you know, that might just be, they actually do enjoy it. Yeah, I absolutely think that there is enjoyment to be found in emotional labor. And I know some people are really predisposed to it and really enjoy it in this way that, you know, most of us might not feel the same way about. But there are lots of parts of emotional labor that I myself really enjoy. Um, I I think I say in the book, one of my favorite things is like the vacation planning and being just hyper in control of every last detail. I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the point of the book is not to say you can't enjoy emotional labor. You can't take it all on if that is really, truly your desire. It's to say that it doesn't have to be that way and it shouldn't have to be that way for anyone. Um, and I also think men really benefit from emotional Mm. labor. And it sort of allows them into their lives more fully when they are, you know, also tasked with thinking about what needs to be done and really engaging in their lives, you know, both in the mental planning work and in the emotion work that comes, you know, with having a healthy partnership or being, you know, a really involved parent. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, we need to make sure that we're looking at both sides of this and realizing that it should be everyone's domain, not just women's. Yeah. And I really loved that. It was an aha moment for me in your book around that if men are not involved with some of that emotional labor, they're not, maybe they're also not as vulnerable and they're not as connected and they're they're not involved in an emotional way that they might want to be. Should they say yes to some of the emotional labor that gets done with a family. When we're trying to break away from stereotypes like, the, oh, well, this is meant for this person and not this one. But then really getting into the conversation of, well, what's to be gained? And where can we go if men really do want to get involved emotionally? Because I think that's a much fuller experience for everyone. Yes, it absolutely is. I think the benefits are there for both parties when mm-hmm. you're balancing out emotional labor and everyone is involved in doing this you know, really careful, empathetic work of keeping those around them comfortable and happy, you're doing a lot of work that is, you know, connecting you and grounding you in your life and in your relationships. And for women, I think, you know, (laughs) it's very obvious what we're gaining by giving some of it up and having someone that we can rely on to share that load. And Mm -hmm. that is, it's, you know, it's freeing up our time and our mental space and, you know, making sure that we aren't emotionally drained. But for men, there is also this benefit of becoming more connected with your life and having a deeper understanding of your partner and, you know, a much deeper, richer relationship with your children and your life. It's just it's good for everyone. Like that, that is sort of the whole point of my book. Like I, yes, I want to show, you know, the bad side of it and everything that needs to be fixed. But I ultimately think that emotional labor is ripe for so much, you know, fulfillment for men and women, as long as we are 
all capable of doing it and sharing that work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that was so well stated. (laughs) Um, It's also striking me as you're talking about that. Like, I feel like this is the kind of juicy middle territory in between lean in. And then there's another one called maxed out, which you can kind of, I'll link up to both of them, but fed up feels like it's kind of the middle ground of, and the way that you are proposing the way forward is that middle ground of like, sure, we need to lean in maybe some days. And, but we don't ever really want to get to that space where we're totally maxed out. And I feel like that's where so many of us are headed. There's this idea that we have to put so much forth, but we can't let any of the balls drop. And that's where we get to the maxed out. So I think this conversation in the middle is, is where we, maybe we don't need that book anymore. <laughs> you know, like let's, let's hope that that's where we're headed is maxed out is no longer as much of a thing. Yes, I certainly hope so. So the other piece that really hit home for me was your conversation about setting or your discussion about setting boundaries around what emotional labor looks like in your life. Because I, it's so amazing to say now we have this vocabulary for it. Now we know how to talk about it. But just like everything good in our life, Boundaries are also a very valuable part of what we put forth around it. Um, Would you share a little bit about how to set some boundaries around emotional labor? Yes. So one of the things I noticed was a lot of the women that I spoke to who felt really overwhelmed by emotional labor had basically no boundaries when it came to emotional labor. They wanted to constantly be like giving of themselves to everyone around them, you know, their partners, their kids, their family, their friends, everyone who said like, hey, I need you, like they were there. And, you know, it's it's wonderful to have a generous and giving spirit, but that is going to break you down so quickly. And so I think it's really essential that we look at, you know, first of all, look at the emotional labor that you're doing day to day. And then start looking at what what is bringing you joy, what is making your life better, and what needs to go. Because a lot of the times we say, you know, absolutely nothing can go, but a lot of a lot of that is untrue. And there are certain things that we can set boundaries around and say, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. And usually that doesn't mean giving up that particular thing, it means shifting the responsibility onto someone else. Um, Mm -hmm. Because a lot of emotional labor is us taking on the responsibilities of others. Uh, So one one big example of this would be like, um, if you're the person keeping the family calendar, and you don't want to, you know, have that stress anymore of keeping up with everyone's schedule. Everyone can take care of their own schedule. Like you do not have to mastermind it. You might have to do it for like your five-year-old or, you know, your (laughs) eight-year-old, but for your husband's schedule, like my husband now knows that if there is something that is coming up, like write it down, write it on the calendar where I can see it. Or usually he writes it down on a piece of paper and puts it in front of my calendar so I can write it neatly on the calendar (laughs) because, you know, that's the kind of person that I am. I think that's quite obvious in reading my book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like there, there are some simple boundaries that we can set up to make sure that we don't get exhausted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I like that too, because it really, it continues on with the conversation. I think that's, I mean, if we stick with the calendar as an example, yeah, we have a big count. Cal- I can see it right here. We have a big calendar. <laughs> the rule of the house is if it's not on the calendar, it's not happening. So, you know, we all kind of get into that getting used to it. And there have been times when I've also, well, I don't know if you've done this or not, but I've whited it out because it's either messy or not happening and I rewrite. (laughs) So, you know, I think it's getting comfortable with that and being okay with the fact that I'd like it to look nice. So I I mean, one thing that I'm really big on in the book is I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting things a certain way, as long as you can come to an agreement on a shared standard and how that is going to happen. I think that is a conversation a lot of people just never have or never have had until, you know, hopefully now. Hopefully people reading my book are like, yeah, let's talk about this and how we want to, you know, organize our homes and our lives and make that work. I think that's a really essential conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and I, it does feel like some people may be in that space where they just can't or haven't yet gotten to the conversation and are feeling just completely overwhelmed by the amount of things. So, yeah, I mean, I think the other piece there that I would say is make sure you give yourself a little bit of space and grace and like give yourself baby steps or look at it as baby steps to making small improvements over time. Cause it is a huge shift. I mean, I think that's the other thing to acknowledge. This is not a small change. No, that's why it is not a, like everyone wants to know what like the magic conversation is. There is no magic conversation. You're mm-hmm. going to be talking about this constantly. I am still talking with my husband about this constantly. And sometimes it's just a small conversation like, hey, we haven't talked about like we didn't sit down and have this mastermind discussion of like what our shared standard is going to look like. It mm-hmm. was me saying like, hey, this thing has bothered me for years and I don't know why I didn't bring it up and why I stew in my resentment. But like, could you close the cabinets after you open them? Like simple things like that. And mm-hmm. over time, things are going to shift and look drastically different as long as you are open and having those conversations frequently. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Cause you're right. And I love that you've brought up those little things that, yeah, just do kind of stew because <laughs> yeah. we all have a few of them, I'm sure. But yeah, it just, once you've kind of spoken into it and then it becomes something that everyone's aware of and can notice and change their habits around, that's a really powerful place. Cause then it's not about the cabinets. It's about the, Hey, this is this thing that we're trying and we're trying to find a shared space that we can both navigate and feel good about. Yeah. And you want both people to feel really comfortable. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's why, you know, the whole let it go um, style of thinking that we've had over the past few years where we tell women that, you know, the only way to true happiness is to like, let it all go to hell. (laughs) Like I don't, I do not subscribe to that, um, you know, style of thought because I think, you know, clutter really stresses a lot of women out and mm-hmm. so like it it's worth it to come to that shared standard so that you're for men so your partner does not feel stressed and angry and resentful all the time because yeah. letting it go is just not reasonable for many of us. Yeah. Well, and I think there's even studies that like 
for many people, it actually causes anxiety and like, <laughs> you know, it just makes everything harder to, to live in a cluttered space. Yeah. Kind yes. Of yes. There is a lot of research out there on that. I'm really excited uh, to read Gretchen Rubin's new book, Outer Order, Inner Calm, that's coming out soon, because mm-hmm. I feel like it's just going to justify my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and I think, yeah, there is something to that. And I, I like that you've kind of suggested that just letting it all go to go to hell is in your home and like, just, okay, I'm not doing anything. No, that really isn't like a viable option. Although it might do a hard reset for some families, like that's, you know, life continues and people need to get a school lunch together. So that doesn't really work. Yeah. And I've talked to women who have done that and it works for them, but I don't think it works for everyone. And that's the problem is that, you know, we need to find this middle ground and we need to find what really works for us and makes us happy. Yeah. Mm, Yes. Amen to that. (laughs) So if somebody is really excited about this topic and wants to get your book, where can they find you and uh, find the book? So I can be found at gemmahartley.com and the book should be available wherever books are sold. So wherever you normally get your books, go and get it there. I always encourage going to uh, your local indie bookseller though. Yes. So the last couple questions that I've been asking people are, where do you see the crossroads of intention and joy as it relates to emotional labor? I think Mm -hmm. the crossroads of intention and joy when it comes to emotional labor is really evaluating what you are doing when you are doing emotional labor and then finding what balance works right for you. So I think it's both being very aware of what you are doing and then being really intentional about what you're doing from then on, if that makes sense. (laughs) It makes a lot of sense, yes. Okay. And then last is, what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? So I think a good way to jumpstart joy in relation to emotional labor is to start having conversations about it really frequently. I think that is one key thing that we haven't been doing with emotional labor is talking about it in a way that is not fraught, that is not an argument or, you know, a heated blow up fight. Mm -hmm. So I think that is the first step to, you know, jumpstarting joy with emotional labor. And I think shared standards are my big thing with emotional labor. I think that is the key to unlocking joy with emotional labor is making sure that you are on the same page with your partner. And then third, I think, I think it just, after those two you know, after those first two steps are done and you are moving forward bit by bit, I think the joy comes in understanding your partner better and having, you know, a little bit of space in your life. I think that is where the joy will really come in is when we are feeling like we are supported and loved and seen in our work and that, you know, we have this deeper understanding of one another. Mm, I love it. Thank you so much, Gemma, for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Gemma, thank you so much for writing 
this important book and for joining me this week on the show. It was a real treat to get to talk to you. And I am so glad that we connected on Instagram. If you want to find out more about Gemma's book, you can find the show notes for this episode at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash fed up. And if you want to follow either myself or Gemma on Instagram, you can find me at jumpstartyourjoy and you can find Gemma at Gemma Hartley (laughs) on Instagram. And be sure to go out and find her book because it really is worth a read. It it is a a really well done book. I think you will enjoy it. Next week on the show, I'm excited to be doing another solo cast and it's going to kind of follow in that inspiration territory. I had said a couple weeks ago, I was going to go back and look at some of the daisy chain of events that I have seen that have kind of jump-started my own joy in harder times. And so I'm excited to share that episode with you this coming week and really look forward to hearing from you. If there's other things that you guys would like for me to talk about, or if you have an idea for a guest, you can find a contact me sheet for that on the website, jumpstartyourjoy.com. And you could suggest yourself or someone else to be on the show. So I would love to hear from you if you have ideas. Um, And I hope you'll come back next week as I explore some of the ways that I have jump-started joy in my own life. Until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.